What is a joy for me to be with you today. It's always wonderful to come and to see uh, what God is doing here at North Lake. Several years ago, is it's a couple years after I got there, sent this church out, and uh, it's always wonderful to see what God is doing. Now you're you're at two services, and you have all of the logistics and the dynamics that go with that, and so uh, all I can say with that is enjoy. It's it's a it's a it's a blessing. But I'm also grateful, certainly, to Dusty for the opportunity to open the Word together with you this morning. And so if you would, please join me and open your Bibles to Psalm 112. Psalm 112. I want to bring to you a message this morning entitled, The Blessings of Fearing God. I'm going to read our text and then we'll look at it together. Psalm 112. Praise Yahweh. How blessed is the man who fears Yahweh who greatly delights in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Light arises in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious and compassionate and righteous. It is well with the man who is gracious and lends. He will maintain his cause in judgment. For he will never be shaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. He will not fear evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is upheld. He will not fear until he looks with satisfaction on his adversaries. He is given freely to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted in honor. Fear is a funny thing. We live in a society that has been paralyzed by fear. Fear brought about by COVID that we just went through a number of years ago. Fear brought about by the so-called climate change that is always in our faces in this society. Consider all of the advisories that come across your device on a daily basis. Now, I'm not sure I need to be warned every time I put an address into my GPS in Southlake coming from Keller that I will be entering a location with an excessive heat warning during the summer. Or that it's an ozone alert day. And that creates quite a dilemma when those warnings come out on the same day, doesn't it? Stay inside so you don't die, but rather ride your bike to work so that our planet doesn't disintegrate due to your pollution. Quite the paradox. And I'm a simple-minded person, and so my response to that kind of warning is something like, it's incredibly hot outside. I am not going to ride my bike 10 miles to work to save the planet. And you have fear brought about by the rising levels of inflation. You have fear of war breaking out. You have fear of civil unrest. You have fear regarding the incompetence of government. You have fear brought about the violent crime being on the rise. You have fear of tests coming back from the doctor. We have fear for the future of our children, fear of getting older, fear of death. Our world is paralyzed 
by fear. And unfortunately, those of us who are in Christ, who are not of this world, can be paralyzed by the same types of fears at times, can't we? It's important for us to remember what Jesus said about fear in Luke 12 when, when he said this in verse four, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who after he has killed has the authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents and yet not one of them is forgotten before God? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. You see, the type of fear that is to characterize the people of God is not fear stoked by this world, but rather it is the fear of God. For the unbeliever, this fear is to be a fear of judgment and condemnation of the one who has both the right and the authority to cast them into hell because of their rejection to come to God on his terms through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is an eternal fear with, with eternal ramifications. For the believer, fear, which is the fear that is highlighted in our psalm here, is a fear that expresses itself in, in worship of God with awe and, and reverence and honor and love and obedience. Now, this fear is expressed in, in wholehearted faith and trust in God because of who he is and because of what he can do. This fear in our, that is expressed in our psalm is a life of, of humble submission to the sovereign ruler of this universe who has graciously reconciled us to himself through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In our text this morning, Psalm 112, the, the author offers praise and worship to Yahweh for the fact that the person who fears God is one who experiences the blessings of God. Now before we get into our psalm, it's important to understand that the psalm before it, Psalm 111, and our psalm, Psalm 112, are, they're, they're intricately linked together. For instance, here's what I mean. If you look at Psalm 111 and Psalm 112, you see, first of all, that both psalms begin with the same praise to Yahweh. It says, praise Yahweh or praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Both psalms are written in Hebrew in the acrostic format where each line of the psalm begins with the next consecutive letter of, of the Hebrew Old Testament. This is common in Hebrew po poetry and it's common to, to help link things together. Also, both of these psalms are set up in the exact same way in terms of Hebrew parallelism. And so you have these, these couplets, these sets of two, uh, verses one through nine of both psalms that, that you have these these. Um, two couplets, or these couplets, and then in, in the final verse, in verse 10, you have this set of three lines. Psalm 111 records the, the works of Yahweh and calls on his people to praise him for those works, whereas Psalm 112 focuses on the blessing of the one who fears Yahweh and calls his people to praise him for those 
blessings. One other thing to take special note of with these two psalms is that some of the characteristics used to describe Yahweh in, in Psalm 111 is as we are called to praise him for his works, and so Yahweh's being described in that psalm, are the same terms, the same characteristics used to describe those who fear Yahweh in Psalm 112. For example, look at Psalm 111, verse three. It says, splendid and majestic is his work. This is speaking of God and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonders to be remembered. The Lord, Yahweh, is gracious and compassionate. Now drop down to Psalm 112, verse four. Light arises in the darkness for the upright. He, that is the upright, is gracious and compassionate and righteous. It is well with the man who is gracious and lends. He will maintain his cause in judgment. So you see that correlation that, that God is characterized in a certain way in Psalm 111 and that those who fear God are characterized in the same way in Psalm 112. One other thing to note at the outset is that Psalm 112 is a wisdom psalm in which it displays similar characteristics as those, as those wisdom statements that we find in the book of Proverbs. Specifically in, in our psalm, it is, it is a recounting of blessings and a distinct contrast emphasized between the righteous and the wicked. As you look at the text, notice first of all how Psalm 111 ends. It says, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. In a very real sense, this verse sets the tone and helps establish the theme for Psalm 112. And you could see that because of how Psalm 112 begins with the same theme of the fear of Yahweh there in verse one. The theme of Psalm 112 is this. It is that those who are blessed are those who fear God and delight in his commandments and we are to praise and worship God for that reality. That those who are blessed are those who fear God and delight in his commandments and we are to praise and worship God for that reality. And as I said, you see that theme disclosed in verse one. He says, praise Yahweh, how blessed is the man who fears Yahweh, who greatly delights in his commandments. It begins with praise Yahweh. God's people are to worship him for his faithfulness and caring for those who fear him. God cares for the one of blessing him, that is to make him content in himself. When you think about the greatest blessing of God, and the life of one who fears God, it is that they are completely and totally content in the person of God. And that's how he begins this psalm. Notice the individualistic nature of this blessing. As he says, how blessed is the man, that is each man, each one who lives in the fear of the Lord is blessed, each one. Those who are characterized by standing in awe of the holy God of this universe, which is manifested in worship, adoration, love, obedience, and submission, each one, verse one tells us, is blessed. The psalmist continues in the second half of verse one, fleshing out the description of the one who is characterized by fearing Yahweh. As he says, 
who greatly delights in his commandments. This is what characterizes, this is what describes one who fears Yahweh. The concept of greatly delighting in God's commandments is, is being stressed in reference to, to fearing God. One who fears God finds great delight in studying the word of God in order to know the God of the word and his commandments. This also means that God's commandments for the one who fears God are a joy to keep and they're not a burden because he or she knows that living according to God's commandments leads to a fulfilling life. God's God blesses those who fear him and delight in his commandments. So what then do those blessings look like in the life of, of one who fears Yahweh? In the rest of the psalm, in verses two through 10, we discover that God-fearers are marked by several virtuous qualities that ought to compel us as believers to walk in the fear of God. Several virtuous qualities we find in these verses that, that ought to compel us as believers to walk in the fear of God. Notice first of all, in verses two and three, that a God-fearer enjoys life. A God-fearer enjoys life. Look at verse two. It says, his descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Enjoying life is expressed here in verse two as a lasting legacy. His descendants, these are, these are the offspring or, or literally the seed of, of one who fears God. And the psalmist says that, that his descendants, that they will be mighty on the earth. Uh, that is to say that they will be influential and, and well-respected the generation, the entire family of the upright. And, and the word upright here is used as a parallel concept to those who fear God, one who is righteous and obedient. It says the generation, the entire family of the one who fears God will be blessed. The family of each successive descendant who fears the Lord will be mighty and blessed. This is describing the reality that descendants that have parents that fear the Lord will more likely be ones who fear the Lord themselves. Now remember, this is a wisdom psalm. And this is not saying that this is the case for every single family. But it is saying that this is more often than not the reality for those families that fear the Lord. And this certainly makes sense as, as those who grow up being taught the word of God and, and having the truth modeled for them in everyday life and, and being brought to church consistently as those ones, as, as that generation, as those people having the great chance of being impacted by divine truth. The more your descendants are, are, are impacted by divine truth, whether it's in your home or in the church, the greater impact that will have, the greater chance that they will have to be fully impacted by the truth and become a God-fearer themselves. Now, what this means, friends, is that your commitment to fearing God and delighting in his commandments 
will have a massive impact on your family. Your commitment to being a man or a woman who fears God, who lives their life in submission and worship to God on a day-to-day basis matters to your family. It matters to your children. It matters to your children's children. You don't live in a box. You don't make decisions in a vacuum. Everything that you do impacts the next generation. And so this psalm is compelling you to be one who wants to have an impact on your children and on the children and on your children's children, your grandchildren, because you are living a life in the fear of God. Your commitment to fearing God gives you the opportunity to enjoy life by establishing a lasting legacy that impacts generation upon generation upon generation. But not only does the psalmist express a lasting legacy as an aspect of enjoying life, but it is also conveyed in the the accruement of material prosperity. And you see that in verse three, look at verse three. It says, wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. The way that this verse reads, the psalmist is placing emphasis on on wealth and riches. These two words are, are describing having that which is sufficient to live on and to build a life with. Both Proverbs 3 and, and Proverbs 8 tell us that wealth and riches are the gift to those that love and pursue her. Wisdom is speaking in Proverbs 8, verse 18, and says, wisdom and honor are with me, or riches and honor are with me, rather, enduring wealth and righteousness. One who fears the Lord will have all that they need in this life. The phrase in, in his house indicates this, that they will live in a comfortable way. They will live having all of their needs provided for. God takes care of those who live lives of worship to him. This means that God-fearers can trust God to take care of them even in the throes and the difficulties of life and that they can enjoy the good gifts that God has provided to them as an act of worship to him. That God has given us all things for us to enjoy. Yes, we have to prioritize our lives. Yes, we are to prioritize what we do with, with all the stewardship that he has given to us. But one of the things that the Bible teaches us is that the things we've been given are things for us to enjoy and we are to enjoy them as an act of worship to God. We're not to enjoy them for our own satisfaction, for our own pleasures, in a selfish sense, but we are to enjoy them as an act of worship to God and that brings much pleasure to us. Notice the end of verse three. It says his righteousness will endure forever. The God-fearer's righteousness will endure forever. This is one of those phrases that connects this psalm to the previous psalm, Psalm 111, where it is used of God. In fact, this phrase 
right? His righteousness will endure forever is typically used in reference to God throughout the scriptures. But not here in verse three. Here, the psalmist is explaining that the God-fearer, the, the believer will live out the righteousness of God in his life that, that has been granted to him. Uh, that, that he will live out that, that imputed righteousness that has been granted to him by Christ. And this righteousness that, that he lives out will have a lasting impact on his home and his family. Friends, one who fears God is blessed by the reality that they get to enjoy life. There's a second virtuous quality that, that marks one who fears God and delights in his commandments, and it is this. A God-fearer expresses graciousness. A God-fearer expresses graciousness. Verse four begins with a bit of a confusing statement. As the text says, that the light arises in the darkness. With this phrase, the psalmist begins by making an allusion to the reality of living life in a fallen world that is characterized by, by darkness and, and by difficulty. To emphasize to us that the one who fears God is, and is blessed by God, that it doesn't mean that they won't still encounter the difficulties of this life. Just because you are a God-fearer, just because you, you live in, in the fear of God on a day-to-day -day basis and you enjoy all the, the blessings of God that come your way because of that, it doesn't mean that you won't encounter difficulties and issues in this life. You're going to. We live in a world that's corrupted by sin, beginning with the sin that's in our own hearts and the difficulties we create for ourselves. And there's gonna be problems and there's gonna be hard times and there's gonna be difficult times and there's gonna be tragic times. And you're gonna to have to walk through those. And you can still walk through those as a man or a woman who fears God. And you could still be receiving the blessings of God that come as one who fears God. But the reality is it doesn't exempt you from walking through the difficulties of life. And so what he is saying here is really important. What he is saying here is that this light that is given, that verse four begins with this light that arises in the darkness this light is God's provision of enablement to walk through life's difficulties obediently in a way that pleases and glorifies God. So, so, so not only do you live a life that, that is fearing God and, and you receive the blessings of God, you receive the lasting legacy, you, re, you receive the material prosperity and, and whatever sense that, that works itself out in your life, but when you go through the throes and the difficulties and the tragedies in life, you are granted the divine enablement to walk through those difficulties, to walk through those tragedies in a way that pleases and glorifies God. It's a wonderful thing. The one who is upright, that is, the one who fears God is able to trudge through this difficult Life being characterized, the text says, as gracious, compassionate, and righteous. Uh, again, these qualities are, are used to describe God in, in the previous parallel psalm. God is described there in verse 3 as the one who is righteous, verse 4, the one who is gracious and, and compassionate. Compassionate. 
This is significant because the psalmist is telling us here in verse four that the God-fearer is marked by the same qualities that mark God. It's the God-fearer who expresses graciousness in in the way that he, he conducts his life. People are hard. You know that because you know your own heart and you know sometimes you're hard. And if you're married, you and your spouse know that you're both hard. And you have difficult children and you have difficult people you interact with in the world. And sometimes you have difficult relationships in the context of the local church. And the beauty of what this text is saying is that as one, if you are one who is committed to, to living in the fear of God, one who is committed to living a life of worship, obedience, awe, reference to God, submission to God, that you are going to receive the divine enablement to also be gracious to people. You're going to be gracious to the hard situations in life and you're going, to, you're going to express that. You're going to be marked by that. You're going to be marked as a gracious person and so that also begs the question then, if you are not a gracious person, if, if that keeps coming up in your life in different circles that, man, you could, you could really tend to be a little bit more gracious, then you need to check yourself. You need to check your heart because one who fears God is going to be marked by graciousness. We're gonna be marked by the same characteristics, by the same qualities that mark God because he is, he is completing that work in us through the process of sanctifying us. The word gracious here has the idea of one who is kind to people, as one who, who looks out for others. The, the idea of compassion refers to one who is sympathetic to, to others' needs, one who, is, one who is tender toward them, like a, a mother is to her newborn child. The word righteous here refers to, to one who is benevolent, one who is a protector, one who does what is just and one who does what is right. Verse five goes on to explain that it is well for this one, that it is good for this one. The circumstances are are favorable towards this God-fearer who is gracious and who lends, the text says. That one who is marked by graciousness and generosity. It says that he will maintain his cause in judgment. That is to say that he conducts his affairs with justice. That he makes the right decisions. We make a lot of decisions in life. Every day. You're faced with all kinds of decisions that you need to make. And if you're like me, you don't trust yourself very often. And so you're looking for advice and wanting to to, to make the right decisions and wanting to think through things. I don't want you to miss the correlation here that the psalmist is making. He's saying that wisdom in your everyday decision making is governed by whether you are living a life in the fear of God. And of course that's true. Isn't it? Believers living in the fear of God are, are the ones we saw in verse one who are, who are delighting in the commandments of God. Those who are delighting in the commandments of God are, are those who are consumed with the word of God, which is where wisdom for, for our everyday decision-making comes from. So of course that's true. 
This again begs the question, is your life a bit of a mess right now? Do you find yourself in a, in a, in a pattern, an ongoing pattern marked by bad decision-making? You just can't seem to make a decision that makes sense, that in the end glorifies God. It's plagued by the defects of your own heart. The psalmist here in Psalm 112 is compelling you through the wisdom of this psalm to consider the blessings of living in worship, obedience, and submission to God. And one of those blessings are godly, beneficial, rational decision-making. See, one who fears God emulates God's character by being marked by the generosity and wisdom and by an overall graciousness toward people. This leads us to a third virtuous quality which marks one who fears God. And that is this. A God-fearer exemplifies stability. A God-fearer exemplifies stability. And we see that in verses six through eight. Verse six continues on explaining that this gracious God-fearer that has just been described in, in verses four and five, this gracious God-fearer, it says, will never be shaken. For he will never be shaken. That is that he will never be dislodged. He will never be made to, to stagger in his integrity and his commitment to the Lord. And, and this word never, in this text, in the Hebrew language, is an absolute negative. And meaning that ultimately, one who fears God will not slip in his commitment to the Lord in a final sense. Yes, we are still in the flesh. We are redeemed by grace. We have new hearts. We are on our way to heaven. But we still have ups and downs in our sanctification process. We still have days of great victory. We still have days of defeat. And what this is telling us is that the one who fears God is one who has greater and greater days of victory. And that ultimately this one won't fall off the wagon. He won't fall off the wagon and, and abandon the Lord, but this one is going to make it to the end. This one who, who fears God, the text says, it says he will never be shaken. He will ultimately never fall away. He will make it to the end. Instead, it says that he will be remembered forever for his righteous way of living. He will not be forgotten, says there at the end of verse six. This is critical for us to understand in a world that is, that is marked by instability, isn't it? One who fears God is marked by security and steadfastness in the midst of the chaos of life. And friends, we are in desperate need of believers in our churches and in our society at large to not be affected by the temporary instability of this life caused by, by the corruption of sin, but rather to establish themselves as pillars of stability that can be relied upon to bring truth and wisdom to bear upon this world. Friends, you and I are not to be swayed back and forth by the chaos of this world, 
but rather we are to be steadfast in our purpose. We are to be steadfast in our focus. Notice the psalmist goes on in verse seven to further describe the posture of stability when he says that this one, this God-fearer, he will not fear evil tidings. That, that is that he will not fear bad reports. Though he is not exempt from them. That's not what this is saying. He's not exempt from bad reports. Bad things are going to happen in this life. Again, because we live in a life that's corrupted by sin, a fallen world. But what this is saying is that he will never fear bad reports. The news that you are so committed to watching and listening to and pulling up on your app every 30 seconds is inundated with bad reports from all over the world. And the one who fears God and delights in the commandments of God, the one who is marked by stability, the text is telling us doesn't fear those bad reports. Uh, they don't get all wound up and begin to fret and worry and cause those around them to do the same. And you know how that goes. You get that latest alert about what's happening in the world. Your inner person starts to stir. And you start to have all these things that we talked about at the beginning of this message, the, the fear of what's gonna happen to my children, the fear of this, the fear of that, the fear of those things. You get all riled up. You see, this text is telling us that the one who fears God he will not fear the bad reports. He will not fear the evil tidings. They don't fear life. They don't fear those who have temporary power in this life. Our government makes a lot of bad decisions, and especially right now. Those in authority are not making good decisions that honor Christ. And if you're like me, you've been affected in some way by those bad decisions in the life that you're living right now. And it's easy to look at the life that we're living and look at some of the things that are deteriorating around us and to be caught up in that and to be wound up by that and to be triggered by that, to, to have this fear that, that begins to blossom and, and worry begins to, to bloom from that fear. Those leaders, they're temporary. God is eternally sovereign. And he's sitting on the throne, ruling and reigning and sovereignly in his providence, working through those leaders, his perfect plan. And so don't get wound up by them. Don't begin to, to, to worry and to fret and to fear. When God's finished using them for whatever purposes he's accomplishing, for his glory, they're gone, they're done. They're not gonna cause eternal havoc in your life. As you look at the end of verse seven, you see why it is this, this one will never fear evil tidings. This, this one who, who fears God. I love this. It says, because his heart is steadfast, trusting in Yahweh. Trusting in the sovereign, covenant-keeping, eternal God of this universe. That is to say that his mind his, his will is sure and certain. He is fully confident in the Lord and that is demonstrated by his ongoing faith in him in the midst of chaos. Verse eight goes on to say that this one is upheld. That is to say that he is, he is steadied, he is secured. And, and notice that that verb is, is passive there. 
It isn't saying that the God-fearer is upholding himself in the midst of this chaos. It says that he is being, withheld, he is being upheld, meaning that this, this action is being done to him. And who's he being upheld by? He's being upheld by this omnipotent, loving, gracious God. God stabilizes the one who fears him in this life and, and he enables him to never fear the circumstances of this life, including the circumstances that involve opposition from others. And that's what it says at the end of verse eight. It's how verse eight ends. It says, until he looks with satisfaction on his, his adversaries. This is the sure result of the end. The righteous win. And all of their dark days, all of the bad reports, and all of the evil opposition will be defeated. Friends, this brings hope and this contributes to a life of stability, does it not? Knowing the anchor who holds our souls in, in the palm of his hand, who's guiding and directing every molecule of this universe in a sovereign way, how can we not trust him? How can we not do what the psalmist says in Psalm 46, be still, know that you are God. And then manifest that stillness in a life of, of stability. Friends, be compelled by the truth that this psalmist is bringing to bear here. Your, your stability in this life, including the ability to withstand all of its various pressures, is connected to living in the fear of God, a life of worship, a life of obedience, and a life of submission. Because the flip side is a life of sin, a life of self-service, living according to the same ideals of this world brings nothing but instability in the fear of man. That brings us then to a final virtuous quality that marks one who fears God and that is this, that a God-fearer endures forever. A God-fearer endures forever. And we see this reality in the contrast that is communicated between verses nine and 10. Again, remember, this is a wisdom psalm. And one of the primary characteristics of a wisdom psalm is, is the contrast made between the righteous and the wicked. So notice first in verse nine, the positive thrust, which signifies the eternal endurance of the righteous. It says, he is given freely to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted. This verse begins with the psalmist reiterating what he has already stated concerning the one who fears God, and that is that he is generous. He has given freely to the poor, the text says. He scatters freely his, his resources to the poor. A God-fearer's generosity is a, is a symptom of, of gratitude to God, and it results, as verse 9 goes on to say, that, that his righteousness endures forever. Well, this righteousness that is being referred to here specifically, it refers to his righteous deeds of generosity. The righteous works of the one who fear God, fears God has eternal value and lasting impact. Now, don't you want your life to count? 
the 70, 80 years of life that God gives you. I mean, if you're in Christ, you have to say that with a resounding yes, that of course I want my life to count. I belong to Christ. He's my master. I'm his slave. Don't you want your life to count? Don't you want your efforts in this life to have eternal value? The text says it does. Look at the end of verse nine. It says that his horn will be exalted in honor. This phrase is a metaphor describing military strength and victory. And the psalmist is using it here in our text to indicate that one who lives a life of fearing God will live a life of honor and victory, which will be experienced ultimately and completely and eternally in the presence of God. And that lasting value that is created with how he uses the stewardship that he's granted in this life will impact the generations to come. It will have a lasting value. It says that, that his righteousness endures forever. One who fears God will endure forever. Well, notice then the contrast in verse 10, which, which emphasizes the thrust of this truth from the negative perspective. It says, the wicked will see it and be vexed. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. And the desire of the wicked will perish. Well, what is it that the, the wicked will see? What is it that those who, who don't fear God will see? Is that they will see the generosity of the righteous. They will see the honor of the righteous. They will, they will see the legacy of the righteous. And what's gonna be their reaction? They will be vexed. That is that they will be angry. They will be irritated. They will gnash their teeth, the text says. One commentator describes this as, as a response of, of powerless rage. And ultimately, they will melt away. They will become weak and useless and ineffective in their efforts because of their rage against the righteous. And they won't be able to do anything about it. Their desire, it says, that same word is used of, of, a, of Eve's covetous desire in the garden, that sinful desire she had for the fruit. Their desire will perish. It will be lost. This word is the, kind of the exact opposite in, in kind of a Hebrew parallelism way of, of the generosity that this text speaks of. They will be the opposite of generous. They will be completely lost. And friends, it won't just be that they're lost temporarily. They're going to get angry. They're going to see the righteous honored eventually. And those things are going to happen and they are going to gnash their teeth. There is going to be this, this powerless rage that, that comes from the wicked. But it's not just gonna be some temporary rage that is just a part of this earth. No, they will be ultimately lost eternally. Their covetous desires will not be fulfilled. That is to say that they will be ultimately dissatisfied. You remember what I said at the outset. When you think about the fear of God, a summary of the fear of God, you think of the blessing, the overall blessing of that fear is that one is completely satisfied in God. Well, the exact opposite is true for the wicked. They will be ultimately dissatisfied. You think about the most dissatisfied you've ever been in your life. 
It doesn't hold a candle to the dissatisfaction that describes the wicked in this text. The ultimate dissatisfaction will be experienced both in this life and in their eternal damnation. This eternal reality serves to to emphasize by contrast the truth that the one who fears God will endure forever. You see the wisdom of that, how the psalmist uses that contrast and what it does is it puts the, the, the reality of, of the one who fears God enduring forever upon a pedestal. And friends, as you look at verse 10, you don't want this to be you. You don't want to be characterized as, as the wicked are characterized here in verse 10. And if this does characterize you, then you need to understand that you don't fear God and that you don't belong to God and that you will eternally be judged by God. But you can change that today. You can come to this glorious God who is worthy to be feared. This one who gave his son to us to be a living sacrifice and then a, and then a sacrifice upon the cross for us to, to, to live in our place and then to die for our sin and then to, to rise again, to connect us to him, to reconcile us to the holy God, to, to cover us with the perfect righteousness of Christ so that we could be in a relationship with the God of this universe that is friendly, that has a good outcome. You could come to this God, this one who will forgive your sin, this one who will wash away your sin as far as the east is from the west. You could come to him today. You have to come to him through the terms which he has dictated in his word, which is through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, through what we call repentance, through turning from your sin, yourself, and everything you believe in, everything you hold on to, everything you're, you're counting on, and turning to Christ alone for salvation. Embracing the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is, his person and his work. Coming to him and submitting your life to him. And when you do that, you will enjoy the blessings of being his child, which are highlighted in the scriptures. You will be on your way to heaven. You will be forgiven from your sin. You will have a new heart. You will have new desires. You will have a new life. And you can begin to fear him as you ought, and then you will be characterized by these blessings that we see in this psalm. What a wonderful thing that would be. Come to him today. Believer, as you're sitting here, most likely being reminded of these things, nothing new, be compelled by this psalm to live in the fear of God and not in the fear of this world and not in the fear of man. And then praise Him for the blessings that manifest themselves in having a life marked by enjoyment, by graciousness by stability, and by eternal endurance. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for our time and your word today. Thank you for this psalm. 
Thank you that you are a God who is worthy to be worshiped, who is worthy to be feared. Father, this world is not worthy to be feared. Mankind is not worthy to be feared. You are worthy to be feared because you hold the right and the authority over our lives. Father, if there are any unbelievers here, I pray that they would come to Christ, that they would truly see that they must fear that you are going to judge them one day and they will be accountable for their sin. They will be separated from you for all of eternity in a place called hell. And Father, for those who are in Christ today, so many, just ask that each of us would be reminded and, and be compelled once again by the truth of your word to, to live lives of worship and obedience and submission to the great King of kings and Lord of lords, our God who is high above the heavens, for his glory and our good. In Christ's name, amen.